Heavenly Father, we come again thankful for this evening, for a chance to read in your word a story that many of us know, many of us have been familiar with throughout our lives, and yet a story that hits us differently each year, depending on where we're at in a different place. Father, we thank you for the reminder of who you are. Thank you for the reminder of who Jesus is. Thank you for the reminder of the suffering he endured, uh, the penalty he paid, the wrath that he bore for us. Father, we pray that you would continue to imprint that truth, that knowledge deep on our hearts, on our souls, and may it change us from the inside out. May it change us to, to live lives that bring glory and honor to you. Father, that's why we come again to your word um, right now, because we, we want to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. We want to see you clearly for who you are. We want to see Jesus clearly for who he is, and we want to know how we should respond and live as a result. And so, Father, we do pray now that as we come to your word that you would speak and that you'd speak clearly to us and, and powerfully to us. And, and Father, in this moment of contemplation and reflection, Lord, may you, may you open up our hearts and may we see our own hearts more clearly tonight. And so, Father, do, do a work tonight, a special work as we dive into your word. Father, may you open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this evening. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we're looking at a portion of Malachi tonight, Malachi 3, verses 6 through 18. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be Food in my house, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty." You've said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You've said it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. 
I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. There's a, there's a phrase that, that's often repeated throughout Scripture that, I, that I've always said. It's a, it's a perfect summary of God's covenant with his people. And it's a phrase I think we, we kind of skim over. And we don't understand even the power, the depth of it because it's kind of unassuming. It's the phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we kind of skim over it like, okay, yeah. Um, but that at the core is the promise of God's covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. But it doesn't always look like that, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, the passage said, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Which is another way of saying, you have not always been my people. <laughs> um, even, even from the beginning, when I've said, you will be my people, God says, even from the beginning, you have not been my people. You have wandered off over and over and over again, wandered away from me and have not followed me as your God. Which is interesting because when this passage starts, we're reminded of this. God says, I, the Lord, do not change. And then he says, therefore, you, O children of Jacob, therefore, you're not consumed. And, and so God's reminding his people, he says, even though you change all the time and wander here and there and everywhere, I, the Lord, do not change. And it's almost, actually, I kind of think it's funny because it's almost like God's kind of mocking his own people a little bit. He's saying, you actually don't change either, but you haven't changed in your unfaithfulness. You have been unfaithful from the beginning. You've wandered everywhere unfaithfully, unchanging, but I, the Lord, have been unchanging in my faithfulness. And I have said, I will be your God, and I will not break that promise. I've been faithful from the beginning. But what's interesting, by the way, this passage starts, it says, because the Lord does not change, that's why God's people are not consumed. And it's interesting because God has told his people, I've told you you are going to be my people, but you have been faithless from the beginning, and you've wandered all over the place. And it would be easy for God to say, you know what? I'm not going to be your God, and you're not going to be my people. Let's be done. But God says, it doesn't work that way because I don't change. And when I say, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people, that's not going to change. That's going to happen. And yet, you keep wandering off over and over and over again, and I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to walk away, and I'm not going to kick you out to pasture, and I'm not going to consume you or, or destroy you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. But that doesn't mean there aren't consequences to rebellion. In the passage, God looks at his people and he says, 
You are cursed. With a curse, right? He says it twice. Just make sure they get it. Right now, you are cursed with a curse because you have rebelled against me one more time and you've wandered off. You've walked away from me and now there are consequences to that. There, there's cursing. There's, there's destruction. There's breaking things, right? The, the passage I remind us of over and over, the wages of sin is death. There's always consequences to faithlessness. And because God's people keep being unfaithful, there's consequences to that, and they're cursed, and things are broken, and there's pain, and there's suffering, and, and, and really, it's almost a miracle, not almost, it is a miracle that they haven't been destroyed by their faithlessness. And it's because God has promised, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I don't change. And that's why you're not being consumed by your faithlessness, by, by your sin. And, and, and when you understand that kind of background and that history, I feel like that brings a real kind of fine point uh, to Good Friday. Because people ask, like, why would this have to happen? We, we read about Jesus being punched and beaten and bruised and his back ripped open and bloodied and hanging from a cross and mocked. And we think, why? Why, why would such a brutal thing have to happen? Well, it's because of everything we've been talking about. It's because of that promise that God gave. I will be your God and you will be my people. And God's people had refused over and over and over to be his people. So something drastic had to happen for God to fulfill that promise. Because he, he's not turning back on that promise. Something had to happen so that his people could be his people. Someone would have to be faithful in the place of God's unfaithful people. And even more so to the point of Good Friday... Someone would have to bear the curse of the rebellion of God's people because there's always consequences to sin. Someone would have to bear the curse. It's the only way God's promise of I will be your God and you will be my people, the only way that promise could be fulfilled is through someone being faithful in our place and bearing the curse in our place. Otherwise, we would be consumed by our, unfaith, by our unfaithfulness, by our sin. Um, we would be beaten and worn out because of that. And instead, on this night, on Good Friday, Jesus bore that curse for us. And so that we wouldn't be consumed by our faithlessness, Jesus was consumed on the cross. And that's why we shouldn't take this so, so lightly. I think, I think it's just easy for us, especially for those of us who've grown up in the church. We've, we hear it a lot and we think, yeah, 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 Jesus died. And, um, and yet, I think it's really important to, to read the story slowly and carefully and, and even get some of the images of it in your head of what happened. The bloody back, the beating the hanging, the suffocating on the cross. 
Because those are reminders of what Christ did for us. That that, that was the curse we deserved. The, the cross we deserved. The beating and the mocking and the whipping um, we deserved because of our faithlessness to, to God and our continued faithlessness that we have over and over and over again. We deserve that, and, and we need to be reminded as we see the graphic pictures and, and the graphic descriptions of that, that that is, should have been, us. And it would have been perfectly just if it would have been us. And yet Christ stepped in and said, I will bear that curse. I will be consumed. I will be faithful in their place so that God can be your God and so that we can be his people. And and the proper response to understanding that is not just to just to feel guilty. Say, wow, I feel, I feel guilty about that. Um, the proper response to recognizing that that's what we deserved is, is what we talked about a few weeks ago. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about um, there's, there's a worldly grief that leads to death and there's a godly grief that leads to repentance. And, and, and just to sit and feel guilty about all of your sin does nothing for you. Um, it leads to you will be consumed. Um, the, the proper response is to see what you deserve for your sin and what you deserve for your faithlessness, to see the beating and the mocking and the bruising and the blood and, and the cross, and to see that you deserve that and feel a godly grief to that that leads to repentance. It leads to turning from your sin and embracing Christ by faith. And we see that in the passage when God looks out at his people and he says, you've been unfaithful from the beginning, but he says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. If you turn from your faithlessness and come back to me, then I will once again draw near to you. And so the, the response isn't to just sit and beat yourself up and feel guilty about your sin. The response is to turn to God and, and repent of it, say, I'm sorry for what I've done, and, and forgive me. And God says, and then I'll draw near to you. And, and he doesn't draw near to you with a fist <laughs> or with a stick or with talking to some older, with a spoon, with mom's spoon from the kitchen. He doesn't draw near with that. He draws near with, with blessing and peace. Because that, the wrath and the curse and, and the suffering that you deserve was already paid. So you don't need to, you don't need to fear. That, that's one of, the, one of the powerful things that we, we recognize about Good Friday and what happened is it, it frees you to just turn from your sin. Because you don't need to f- be afraid of coming into God's presence because that punishment has already been taken. So you can just freely turn from your sin and say, I'm sorry. And God says, I'll draw near to you again. And then that covenant's restored again. And now God is your God and you are his people. And, and God says, 
When you do that, I will spare them, I'll spare my people as a man spares his son who serves him. He says, when, when you turn to me, I'm not going to pound you, I'm not going dis- to spare you because someone already bore that punishment and I'm going to spare you as a son. Not some random person, I'm going to spare you as a son. But he takes it even a step further in the passage. In verse 17, he says, When you repent, when you return to me, I'll draw near to you. I'll treat you as a child. And then he says, And then they will be mine. And in the day, I will make them my treasured possession. That's more than just forgiveness. That's more than just God drawing near. That's more than even just being a, a son or a child of God. He says, no, when, when you repent, when, when you turn from that sin, when you grab hold of Jesus by faith, you draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you, you'll, you'll be a child. I will say, now you're mine. You're, you're my people. And you're my treasured possession. And again, that's that Freedom. It's the, the freedom of Good Friday that, that when, when we recognize that that's what we're turning to when we turn from our sin, there's freedom to do that. And, and I always like to encourage us on Good Friday, it's a good night to just take a moment to reflect on the sin that's still lingering in our hearts and in our lives, and, and then to turn, turn from it, repent. Uh, it's it's good night to remember that because we see if we continue in sin, that leads to the cross, death, destruction, being consumed. But to turn from that means that that's all been taken care of by Christ. And over here is the Father saying, come. I'll restore you. I'll renew you. You'll be mine. You'll be my treasured possession. And so I want to give us just a few moments to reflect on that uh, tonight. And uh, I think tonight's a perfect night to take a moment to repent. Um, Take a moment, think, examine your life, ask God to reveal to you what's going on in your own heart, in your own mind, in your soul. And then as God brings that to mind, repent. Repent in your heart. And then when you leave, you have to also repent with your your feet. (laughs) Or, or with your hands and, and not go on doing that, that thing. But, but take a moment to do that. Tonight's the night. Tonight's a good night to do that. And so um, whether it's the first time you've ever done that and, and you're for the first time repenting of, of living a sin, sinful life apart from God or whether you've been following Christ for 50 years and the life of a Christian is a life of continually turning from our sin and embracing Christ. And so tonight's a good night if it's your first or your one millionth. Um, tonight's a good night to repent, embrace Christ, um, and then be enfolded into the arms of our Father. Um, so let's take a moment to do that. I'll give us a few moments of just quiet time, and then I'll close us in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we come into your presence thankful that you're our God. I'm thankful that you've called us to be your people. And Father, we're thankful that you are an unchanging God whose promises are also unchanging. We're thankful for the confidence we can have that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you won't throw us off for our unfaithfulness. But when we repent, you'll embrace us, call us your own, restore us, draw near to us again. Father, we're thankful for what your son, Jesus Christ, did for us. Throughout his life, as he lived faithfully in our place, but especially tonight, Father, we're thankful that he bore the wrath and he bore the curse and that he was consumed in our place. Father, we, we, we ask your forgiveness because we don't take that as seriously as we should. We, we often, as you know, we often wander off in our own direction faithlessly. We, we do the things that we want to do even though we know you have told us it's foolish or unwise or doesn't bring glory to you. We have so many things, and Father, we're thankful for the opportunity tonight to, to confess some of those, to, to bring them before you, to, to repent from those, to turn away. And Father, we just pray that, that you would continue to, to bring those things to mind, to our hearts, that, that you would continue to give each one of us a soft heart that, that recognizes sin for what it is, and, and a soft heart that wants to continually turn away from that to you. So, Father, we, we offer up all these things that, that we pray to during this short, quiet time. Father, we offer them up to you, and we ask that, that you would forgive us for those sins, that, that you would cleanse us and renew us from those sins, that you'd give us strength that as we leave here we would not continue in those sins, that we would walk in, in newness of life and in freedom because of what your Son did for us on the cross. So, Father, do that work in us tonight, and as more things come to mind later on this evening, Lord, help us to just turn from them, and as they come to us throughout our life, may we continue to live a life of repentance where we're turning from sin and embracing you more and more each day. Father, may you receive all the glory and the praise and the honor for that. And, and Father, may you continue to impress upon our hearts and, and our minds that, that you're our Heavenly Father and that you've called us your own, that we are your people, that you are our God, and we are your treasured possession. And help us to live that way so that you would ultimately be our treasured possession and that the world would see that and come to know you more fully. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.